Acts 10, 1 through 36, continuing our sermon series on uh, New South Revolution. At, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was, who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent him to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared prepared he fell into a trance he saw heaven opened up and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air then a voice told him get up peter kill and eat surely not lord peter replied i have never eaten anything impure or unclean the voice spoke to him a second time do not call anything impure that god has called god has made clean This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We've come down from Cornelius Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I, was sent, when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent me? Cornelius answered, four days ago, I was in my house praying at this, at, at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man of shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God, to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message of God, the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. 
While Peter was still speaking the words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out to even the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with the water? And they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, then asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This is the word of the Lord. Again, I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor at Christ Central Church. And um, we're going to continue on our sermon series, um, a new sermon series we've begun. This is the second in the sermon series uh, entitled A New South Revolution. And um, when I say New South, I mean the place that Charlotte and cities like Charlotte have become. And the place, this place in Charlotte, that it will become as you are called by God to bring Revolution to it, redemption to it, and be a transforming community in it and to it. Well, today's scripture takes us to the first century A.D. and Christianity has just been born in the diverse world of Roman Greco culture, having now come to the Middle East. And with it, Christianity finds itself in somewhat of an identity crisis. Will it be a Jewish Christianity? And if so, which Jewish Christianity would it cater to? The Hebraic Jews, whom would have been like a native Charlatan, right? Or, or the newfangled kind of Jew, the Hellenistic ones, having left their hometowns in a diaspora, returning with their fancy Greek way of talking and living. And, and how will it handle Christianity, handle the larger Gentile culture with its big city, corporate, liberal, sophisticated, powerful kind of northern intellectual come south to low Judea to exploit its low overhead and promise of urban development. How will it handle all of this stuff? It is typical New South dynamics, much like we experience here in cities like our very own Charlotte, where a new dialogue and discussion and, and search for identity has been opened up due to what I would describe as a culture mash and, and crash of race and ethnicity and class and heritage and history. And in the middle of this eclectic Roman Greco-Judean mess, two men have a life-changing and challenging experience that sets a visional and missional identity for Christianity for all times. A revolution was taking place in Judea. A revolution that we are called now to to take up and be a part of right here in our new south. A revolution of eclectic community. The Bible tells us that Cornelius, a God-fearing Gentile, that means a non-Jew who believed in the God of Abraham, but ethnically and socially could never be a Jew, not circumcised and probably not living kosher, who by description as a high-ranking Roman official was part of an elite executive class that had infiltrated the Jewish South. And to be a Roman like he was in Judea would have been like... Leaving Wells Fargo, San Francisco, and coming to a place in the South like 
Charlotte, right? Taking over the Charlotte branch. Big difference here. And as a God-fearer, he would have respected the God of the Jews, but could have done without, as he probably did, all of their southern expressions of that faith. They were doing church culture a little different than he was used to or what he, a Roman, would have been accepted in. And the Bible tells us that an angel visits him about going and finding Peter. And you would think that the angel showing up was revolutionary enough, but the request was much more amazing than that. To go and bring a Jew, a Hebraic Jew, to his house to tell him and, and to tell, have him tell you and teach you something. And then cross town in a Jewish, probably Jewish part of the town. Peter was doing his three in the afternoon prayer time. Such a devout man of God type, right? And the Bible says he got hungry and the food started getting cooked. Y'all have had a hallucination when you're real hungry and that food? Okay, that's me. You're like, oh. And you kind of see it? Okay, but no, this was a Bible-based thing. Okay, this is God doing it. And the Bible says he got hungry and has a vision. A, A sheet lowered with some food on it. And from first appearance... The people like me and you, this was the coffee cup or the chicken box or the diamonds menu offering, right? But to a devout Jew, God telling him to kill the food. Oh, yeah. Did I mention the food was still walking around, it seems? And and for for God to tell a Hebraic Jew like Peter to kill these pigs and and jump and shrimp and eat some owl stew was like putting him on an episode of Fear Factor. Because according to God's law, this food and the killing of it to eat it was unclean. It was nasty, man. It was uncouth. Even for 50,000 big ones, because unlike us, they would not be shamed for the dollars. But anyway, God says something that sounded like, go ahead, (laughs) eat, Peter. I have changed things about the dietary cultural laws of Judaism under Christianity. No longer call these things unclean, these animals unclean. They won't make you evil or bad to be around, to handle, to cook, and to eat. This is where the Christian tradition started, y'all. All our big mama's house, right? Complete with ham and mac and cheese and fried chicken. It started right there. God told them, go ahead and eat it. Even some pig's foot and chitlins, whatever your thing is. This is where it started. With a Jew named Peter. But God just uses this vision as a picture of the following public service announcement, right? The food and the people who eat this food, they okay by me, Peter, if I declare them okay by me. And he goes on to raise the ante because this was not about a soul food revolution among Jewish Christians. No, this was something stranger. Eclectic community is on the way. So God lets Peter know that some Gentile guys are coming to pick you up. Don't be afraid. Though they'll show up probably looking like the white, clean-cut, sunglasses-wearing guys in a crown vic, slowly rolling through the hood. Obviously, government trouble for somebody. (laughs) They are not there to arrest you or rough you up. They are there to take you to see a high-ranking official. Cornelius, of course. Go ahead against your better judgment. Get into their backseat. No cuffs. They, you're doing what I've said you. I promise they won't Rodney King you. So go with them. 
And so you can imagine, they're showing up in Peter's part of the town and folk peeking through their doors next door. If you live in a hood, everybody gets real nosy when the cops come around, right? When somebody ain't supposed to be there, they be looking. And I'm sure Peter invites them as he invites them into his house, these two Gentile men who look like the human version of all that was unclean on that sheet coming into Peter's house. He's looking around too, letting folk in. Kind of who saw me, right? This was dangerous. For a Jew, he could be labeled as a sellout. And back then, a sellout Jew could quickly become a dead Jew because the Romans like could because it could quickly because the Romans let the Jews practice their own version of justice as long as it didn't cost them any tax money and help them cut out subversive mess. Some of the wrong Jews could have showed up and they could have dragged poor sellout lost his mind must be in some sort of cult Peter into the street and stoned him. But they would not probably dare mess with him with the government people around. But anyway, Peter goes back with them the next day to Cornelius's home. Can you see Peter? Right? Think about the cultural difference. Can you see Peter looking out the carriage windows with his mouth open at the, at looking at the country club Caesarea Gentile part of town? He, he was definitely out of his element, element over there. But now it was time for Cornelius, Cornelius to risk social rejection like a fool. He invites his friends and family over to meet with Peter and his friends. Okay, y'all, for Peter, this is like Noda going to South Park. Okay? This is like Belmont neighborhood going to Belmont, North Carolina. Right? And the Bible says that when Peter enters, Cornelius bows to him. Understand that for him to bow to Peter is like some of you bowing to the tent meeting guy, right? Like like inviting the preacher, no, not any preacher, no, the vest wearing, sweating, process in his hair evangelist to your shishi loft, not with chicken fingers or dirt, but with the fresh cut sushi and vintage wines and cheese. That's what's going on. And Peter probably was wearing the equivalent of the five button suit with the long coat, right? To a khaki and sport coat and black tie world. And I'm sure Cornelius' friends were thinking, how dare you bow to this southern country Jewish bumpkin, right? Cornelius' sons might not get invited to be in a battalion and his girls surely ain't going to the deputant bowl this year. And you know, man, forget that country club membership. This fool is hanging, no, not just hanging, bowing to a Jew. But not just any kind of Jew. A Hebraic Jew. Not one of the ones we change around culturally. And Peter, just as shocked as the guests, tells Cornelius, you bowing? That ain't kosher. Really, not kosher. Because God alone should get this worship. I'm just a man. Get up off your feet. I'm here to tell you something. But God, through you, Cornelius, is actually about to teach me, Peter, a leader of the church, a whole lot more. And he says it out loud. I am convinced that God has no ethic or cultural favors, and neither should we. God is the God of the nations. Man, I, I didn't know, but now I know. Cornelius, this is the gospel of Jesus. And Peter starts preaching in a villa on Park Avenue. The same thing he was preaching on the street corners of the ghetto. Salvation through Jesus. And the Bible says that a Holy Spirit tent revival thing happened up in there. And it's probably very awkward, right? Just like it did on his homeboys and homegirls, which meant Jesus. The church was for the Jew and the Gentile. 
was a revolution beginning right there because Peter went back home to convince his boys that Christianity would probably be a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-economic religion and would be an eclectic religion. It If the risk for believing in Jesus alone for salvation was high, it just got more tight up in there because the New South Revolution just went extra on them. Because when Jesus said his love was for and to all the world, he was serious, y'all. This was a shock to them. In Christ Central Church, you, this is now the result of that day almost 2,000 years ago. Jesus, your God, the God of the Bible, was not kidding. Like for Peter and Cornelius and all the world that would benefit, witness their lives and their missions and their faith, God is calling you and me to a new south. Revolution right here in Charlotte, a revolution of eclectic community to be and bring eclectic community to be a a, a reconciled and authentic relating community and part of communities diverse in ethnicity and race and class and gender and histories and heritages. And like with Peter and Cornelius and eventually the whole church, God is calling for a revolution of eclectic community that is both uncomfortable and dangerous. Like what I explained earlier, Peter was risking being rejected and even stoned and ostracized as a sellout and a religious heretic. He said it, it's against the law for me to be up in here with you Gentiles. Right? For being Cornelius, a heretic for letting Cornelius be around him. And Cornelius was risking by bringing this Jew in, in, in the group and honoring him like he did was risking some social standing. And I don't know, possibly his job when it got up the line. His brother was letting Jews in. I don't know. He, he ain't ready. Something wrong with him. He turned to religious fanatic. And you could just imagine how uncomfortable, uncomfortable it must have been for Cornelius' men to spend the night with Peter. And then to have Peter be among Cornelius' Roman and, and Greek influence and probably rich friends and family. You're just waiting, right? Man, I, I wonder what it would have been like. You're just waiting for something wrong to be said, right? For something wrong to happen, an argument to break out, right? Let me say this. Eclectic community, an eclectic community revolution in New South is dangerous to your sense of identity. And what may be your sense of worth and your social status and your friends and your familial relationships and even your moral standing in the eyes of other church people. And like Cornelius, depending on your situation, it can be an occupational hazard to be in community and have friendships that are diverse, not to mention just how sheer uncomfortable it can be. Just take some time. We're not going to get through this whole thing today. We're going to do it in two others. Parts. I'm going to talk about it a little bit. And at the risk of being a little, how does Simon put it? Self-indulgent, right? I want you to know how dangerous this thing we have started here in Noda at Christ Central Church is. Understand that for me to be a pastor of a church like this, is risking being socially stoned by people of my own culture. Yeah? Right? I mean, I know. And by many, I've been dismissed as a sellout, as confused, 
as not black enough. Because I'm pastoring a church that, look around, little lighter than I am, most of y'all. Among some of my own African-American peers, I've been called obsolete. Not a viable example of an African-American-led church plant and church all because of (laughs) y'all. And because I have a white associate pastor. These are people who are close to me, whom I want to prove that I'm identificationally all right, right? But no, I'm not. I'm all wrapped up and committed to y'all up in here, right? It is dangerous for me to raise my black boys who will already struggle in this culture with inferiority complexes in an environment like this. It's dangerous. Man, I stone myself sometimes, right? You should know that almost every Sunday that I get up here and look around at the large amount of Anglo folks, I think, you old stupid Negro. Do you know what you're risking? Being a spectacle for these white folks. A show. Someone whom they can say their friends, he's different. He's funny. You've got to see this guy. He's got this long hair. He's really neat. And it's not me alone, because while for the dominant culture, it might be cool to be all multi-ethnic for your African-American brothers and sisters, they're deemed fools to themselves and by others. Fools for being a part of the white man's denomination, to giving your time and money to your oppressors, to join and be part of a denomination. Well, I guess that's almost every Protestant denomination if we look far enough into history. But that just, but guess what? That just a few years ago, maybe it's been eight years ago, I'm not sure, had a church that had a father and son day where they set up a firing range complete with pictures of MLK, Hillary Clinton, and Abe Lincoln. Yeah, come on, be a part of this. Eclectic community. It's fun, isn't it? No, it's dangerous. I, I mean, understand that your Darker brothers and sisters risk being the one or two black friends that risk helping you shake your race, racist guilt off, who are the onesies and twosies who are hijacked as and used so that you can go around talking about how I have black friends. I understand black people and all that stuff, man. And be down with us. And we risk giving you a culture to be exploited further than it already grossly has been. Eclectic community is a risky and dangerous and uncomfortable revolution. I've had friends get so familiar with me, right? Howard, you're so sharp. What's that supposed to mean? You're so impressive. I know what that means. I've had him say, you know, there's different a nigga and a black person. Howard, you're a black person. I think I'm the fool. How could I have entered relationships so close that somebody think they can say that to me? Where am I? Where they? This is stupid. This is silly. What what kind of crazy thing is this? But I know, of course, I can speak for myself, my African-American folks, but whatever nationality you represent here or wherever, just being with other folk in diversity can be dangerous and uncomfortable. When it's real, right? When you hang in with folk, when you identify with folk. And for my white brothers and sisters, it's dangerous too for you. Now, Georgia is going to come and preach a couple weeks and kind of give a little better perspective. But I, 
I know some of y'all. I'm the pastor. I know y'all. You know, I got some of my best friends are white. <laughs> I watch Friends and Seinfeld. I know y'all. <laughs> For my white brothers and sisters, it's dangerous as well because you run the risk of messing up. Right? You're gonna say the wrong thing. God, it must be hard. And being called that labeled a racist or being laden with guilt of some past sin like slavery or Jim Crow. Sometimes being a part of Anglo race means that you have to bear an eclectic committee the weight of being guilty and not trusted and easily blamed, right? My issues can always be blamed on a white person. Let me tell you. Sometimes I just sit back and laugh, wrongly so. Don't look how guilty they got. Wow. Woo. Dangerous, wrong. And for the, for you, there are all sorts of social risks being here. Some of your parents think you're crazy having a black man be your pastor. And I ain't no Barack Obama. I didn't go to Columbia and Harvard. I went to Clemson and Covenant College and Covenant Seminary. Y'all, you can't even say he's really highly educated. Yeah, I got a master of divinity, but I ain't no Barack Obama and Michelle Obama. So no Condoleezza Rice. This ain't no Colin Powell. This was Howard Brown from Charleston. <laughs> Shoot. And I know how uncomfortable it must be to invite your friends and family or to invite some of us to your stuff. We can embarrass you. I'm loud. And your fear of being mistreated. I mean, some of y'all think, oh, no, I don't want to invite them because they might get mistreated. I know it's hard having black brothers and sisters around. Understand, like me, Pastor Giorgio. Mm-hmm has known the rejection of fellow pastors whom because he's tied to this thing, this eclectic, multi-ethic thing, cultural ministry, my brother is overlooked and looked down upon as not viable with the other white men. He can't even hang in the white men's club. Oh, God! I was hoping you would so you could get the secrets. <laughs> but he came and he's like, Howard, you know when I speak, just don't seem to hear me. It's like I'm invisible. Oh, really? Welcome to my world. How dangerous must it be in the South to have a Davidson education to take second fiddles to the likes of me? I'm talking culturally. You must be a foolish white guy. Or something must be wrong with you. Amanda, what's wrong with him? Come on, Columbus, Georgia. How you let your husband? Oh my Lord. I know at night I'd be like, look, you should let the black man leave me take over. You know, if a white man's not on top, something must be broken in him. He must be messed up or something. And come on, my left-leaning brothers and sisters up in here, some have you have learned, many in cyber world of Facebook, just how right-wing folk in our denomination can be. How Southern Presbyterian can be. It is dangerous and uncomfortable and demeaning to your intellect and your sense of culture and thought. To people who come to our church, part of our wider congregation, who are in gay communities. It's dangerous to be here. As you go from this community and that community, folk must be thinking, why are you going to that church over there? They're PCA. Do you know what that means? And folk, look at us. What do you got those folk in here for? They can't come to church. Dangerous for you. Dangerous for us. 
risky. Some of you women. Man. Some of you for the sake of eclectic community. In many churches, you're a part of a southern Christianity that historically and has still some in the present have overlooked and run roughshod over the rights and roles and calling and dignity of women. I mean, whom have failed in their brainiacness to put thought or theology into how you can be loved and love the church. And for those of you who don't have the incomes or the high lack of higher educations, eclectic community can be dangerous because your lack of money and intellect will be found out. Stuff's gonna go over your head. Some of our older members in our of some of our older members, I mean, I know some what y'all doing in here? Some of you come some from re, some can you get my words that come from some really nice churches? And you up in here. Some of you artists and white-collar folk, our suburbanites, just a mess up in here, like a bird's nest. I mean, it's just mixed up. We all risk being forgotten by being in a collective community. If you feel out, feel left out or afraid of being overlooked and taken advantage of or gotten wrong, if you feel like this is a black church, and it isn't, that's black worship. No, it ain't. Sorry, I know you thought you were... All the way. You weren't all the way. And if you are black and you feel like this is a white church, or if you're Latino or Asian and you feel like it is a black and white argument so far in the sermon that you're left out, if you feel uncomfortable in my discussion and fleshing all this out, if you, oh my God, what's he going to say next? You might be in the middle of a New South revolution. The eclectic community God is calling to us is dangerous and uncomfortable. With its danger and uncomfortableness, God has called us to an eclectic community that is revolutionarily challenging. When Peter comes to Cornelius, Cornelius immediately gets it wrong and bowing to Peter, who tells him, I'm just a man. You don't do that to me, please. You got this thing wrong. And then Peter says, and it it is a correction, I believe, to a couple of things. First, to the Roman way of worshiping spiritual leaders. And secondly, to how he must have seen himself as an outsider or inferior to Peter. He says this, God shows no favoritism and it challenges everything. And in the dream and vision, God sends Peter telling him that he is not calling people righteous or his according to the Jewish ceremony and cultural laws. Peter, you are no better and the Gentiles who believe in me are no lower. It corrected not only how they saw each other, but being in eclectic community, according with this eclectic message, cleared and cleaned up some prejudices and misconceptions they had about themselves in the eyes of God. You know one of the most awesome things about being a pastor in an eclectic community? The church like this? Having been in the lives of some of you Anglo brothers and sisters as a black man raised in the South? You know what I learned? White folks ain't no better. <laughs> Sorry. Thank you. No. Y'all got some serious issues and sins and deprivation and abuses. Don't don't things don't respect zip codes or tax brackets? I, I or, or what you know nationality you put on this SAT? I used to have this inferiority complex. You know, man, they ain't got no problems over there. Look at them, white people walking around happy. In the South, it's hard. Most of the big homes, 
Hey, many black folk, and then if you see a black person, you're like, what's up, brother? You made it, right? It just, it's one of those things. And, and that has been alleviated just by living with y'all and praying for y'all and, and hearing your stories. Because when I turn on the news, we always in trouble, right? We need Jesus, but y'all do too. What? News to me. Being a collective community works to remove and clean our misconceptions even about ourselves, right? If you thought you were inferior or thought you were better, welcome to the gospel-driven revolution. I think maybe I told you this, but I was making some jokes out there about the junior league. Remember this, Todd? And I was wrong because I don't know nothing about him. I just took a guess in my mind. Oh, you know, they just... Eating the sandwiches with the crust cut off and boo boo and, and setting up this little mission here, you know, all these rich folk finding ways to shave their tax at the end of the year. You know, that kind of thing. And Todd was like, Howard, you don't know what you're talking about. You should not say that. It's racist and it's wrong. It's like, white man can't tell me what's racist. <laughs> I'm black. I can be racist and it's not be a sin. I realized how much I despised and hated what looked like a dominant culture. I had hate in my heart. I was three years into the pastor of a multi-ethnic church, and I had hate in my heart. Anger. Not the righteous good kind, the despising bad kind. Ignorant kind. Let me say this. According to what happened in Acts, Peter is learning that his culture, his sense of identity, rightness, according to the gospel, was wrong. And with it, his understanding and knowledge of God that it was not correct. Get this, bad theology if you're not in a collected community. Not as well-developed theology, right? you got to kind of get the theologians rethinking about this. If you're just doing your theology over here and it ain't got no Cornelius and Peter-isms in it, something wrong. It's going to be bent. And so th- it, was like, it was not pure. It had to change. Much of what made him and distinguish him as a Hebraic Jew had to go to the side. Where you find your sense of identity and worth and culture in eclectic community will be challenged with the gospel. Maybe found sinful thinking and sinful living and wrong and incomplete way of seeing yourself in the world. Let me say what this moment between Peter and Cornelius means for us. God may be calling you and me as we're a part of this thing to repent for our prejudice and racism and classisms and sexisms and your sense of identity to actually have our eyes open to a right and clearer and more orthodox view of God and his created humanity and his holiness among people. Maybe to see yourself for the first time as oppressive or ignorant or oppressed and ignored, right? In a collective community, God starts a civil rights revolution unlike any other. Because it calls people to repent. To own their brokenness and pain and hurt and hold others accountable for how they live and what they say. And sometimes it takes a brother to get up off your knees. Don't you worship me? I'm not better than you. Sure, it feels good, but I'm not better than you. What you're doing in your inferiority is a sin before God. To make us, yes, sensitive. And it does not always allow us to stay in sinful, stay in sinful and evil small-mindedness. I'm sorry. It ain't comfortable. 
The gospel will call us to see the darkness in our politics and our social lives and in ourselves and get this, the error in our theology. To have the gospel, God at work in our life and story of someone different than you, God opens your eyes to the fact, just like he does Peter, that he shows no favoritism, that he is not given your sense of identity or culture or race or ethnicity any higher or lower place, but to have all called to account to each other and to him. So get ready. Because if God is in the middle of that eclectic community, conviction and challenge and confession and confrontation and change is par for the course. At Christ Central, we used to say, how do y'all do racial reconciliation? We believe in the fight. We're aggressive up in here. We believe in the fight. What's that mean? You know, we let people talk it through. Misconceptions, let's get in the room, let's work it out, let's bring it on out. We like to call it the cage match because you can't leave. You can't leave. You're in the church. Cage match. With grace-centered rules. But nobody leaves without repentance and reconciliation. Nobody. We up in here. When you join, you in the cage match. You in. Yeah. <laughs> you might have to take the risk of looking ignorant. We have to take the risk of saying, you know, I always thought this about black folk and then make me mad, Right? got to take the risk. Or I got to take the risk and be like, well, you know, that's what I think about y'all. I didn't know. I thought this. I know what this means. What is dangerous and uncomfortable and challenging will get bloody. It'll get messy. Why did we plant this church like this? It's gotten more confusing for me over the years. Like Jesus has gotten brighter, some other things gotten more confusing. Why did we do this? We were told not to do this. Unless it was the inner city mercy model, which nothing wrong. But you know, you got to have the white folk come in with the money and help the poor black people. That's the way to do it. That works. But this thing about black lead and, and equality and all, I don't know, that ain't going to work. Because it's too messy. Here's what you need to know. It's going to get confusing. And it may go more rounds than you expect. You might be here years. And then and there will be tears and hurt and pain. We need grace. And the power of Jesus to do it. Peter was sent to Cornelius to an uncomfortable, dangerous, and challenging situation by God. The Bible tells us that he preaches the gospel of Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes upon Cornelius and the other Gentiles here who heard it and believed. And the son of the Holy Spirit coming evidenced by their speaking in other tongues meant this. That for the broken relationship between Gentile and God, God has sent grace through Jesus to make them right too. But with that, the division, the chasm, the separation between Jew and Greek, between Jew and Gentile, between you and Cornelius is reconciled and being reconciled by Jesus through the gospel, through the work of God's grace in the lives of his people. That means that you and I, what our mission is, the Bible says Peter invited them into his house. And he brought some friends along with him. And then 
And then an interesting part, part of the passage. Peter decided to stay with Cornelius three days. Man, I would have dropped my message and headed back to my part of town. They want to make relationship? What? Man, sometimes, I mean, this is the word of God, all right? Closed canon, don't need to add nothing and take it. But, man, Lord, I wish he had showed us a conversation for three days. What was it like? Well, Cornelius, I never ate that before. Try it, Peter. It's real good. Right? I mean, I'm just wondering what that... Peter, what's the inside of the temple look like? Let me tell you, brother. It's real nice. Blah, blah, blah. You know, I just wonder what it was like. Anyway, probably it's like here. Kind of confusing, crazy. Might have had some fights up in there. Anyway, it means that we come and go to each other's lives, into each other's cultures and homes and families. And we feel uncomfortable and in danger and dangerous and believing that the gospel, the power of God through faith in Jesus to reconcile is at work. And then that makes the risk not only worth it, it is rewarding and revolutionarily redeeming to our souls and the souls of human beings we come into community with. Because God's call to us through Jesus will turn our danger into security. Our fears into friendships. Our sinful misconceptions into forgiveness and repentance into reconciliation and hate into love. And you and me into an eclectic community of a new south revolution. Now, we done opened up some stuff. And we ain't going to close nothing up. We're going to let it bleed a little bit. We got two more weeks. Could do just kind of talk about this a little bit. If you're coming in here and you're trying to reconcile because you think you're a pretty good person, you know, you, you, you liberal, you, you got it together. You know how to fix the South? Won't happen. Reconciliation. Repentance, eclectic community is a category of the gospel at work. Generationally, we got issues. Boomers and Xers don't like each other. It's a category of the gospel. It's the work of Jesus. He's the revolutionary among us. We need him. We need him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what reconciliation means. That we're not reconciled with you without Christ. And repentance and forgiveness and healing necessary between diverse people only happens if that same gospel goes to work to heal and cover a multitude and histories of sin and misunderstanding. Give us courage, like Peter and Cornelius. Send the Holy Spirit to encourage us, to invite our friends into it, to invite ourselves all up into each other's lives. But most importantly, Lord, to invite the gospel, to invite Jesus, to invite the Holy Spirit. 
to bring power and change and revolution. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.